0: Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Well, good evening. Uh, Welcome again to Advent. We're glad that y'all are here. If I haven't met you Uh, My name is Taylor Leachman, I'm the pastor here at Advent, and uh, we have been going through a a brief Advent uh, season of Advent, uh, a sermon series on the mothers of Jesus, the the women who show up in Jesus's genealogy in the first chapter of Matthew and uh we were actually kind of a week late um in the advent season so we're on our third mother but it's the fourth week of advent but um so we're we're going to skip one next week we're going to skip uh, bathsheba and go straight to Mary on uh, Christmas Eve but uh tonight we are doing Ruth, and uh, that means we're kind of doing the entire book of Ruth. Uh, and I, I pray that it's not too much, but if you feel like we're drip, drinking from a fire hose, it's probably because I'm coming at you like a fire hose. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, I pray that as we, as we learn through this together, as we read through this together, that we will be reminded um, that there are no misfits in God's family Uh, because actually um, based on the way we would describe a misfit, the entire characterization of the genealogy of Jesus is a misfit. And so you fit perfectly and I fit perfectly because of who we read about in in this genealogy. So tonight we're going to focus just on the very first chapter of Ruth and the end. And then I'll try at at different times to fill in the rest of the story for us. Um, But read with me now Ruth chapter 1 and Ruth chapter 4. This is God's word. It says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And we're going to skip to the end of the book. As it says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. you all pray with me? Father, we thank you for um, your word, and we thank you that we can be together this evening. So, Father, I pray as we consider it, be with us by your spirit. May it stir in us um, knowledge of you, knowledge of ourselves, and may it build us up in faith, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, this this week, my wife and I were watching a movie on Netflix uh, called Father Stew. Have any of y'all seen the movie Father Stew? No. Um, I actually would highly recommend it to you all. It was a, it's a great movie, actually, somewhat of a biopic, a real life story of a man from Montana named Stewart who uh, basically does everything in his life. He dials it up to eleven. Right? He goes full bore into whatever he is doing. And so the movie begins with his decision he's going to be a professional boxer and he's pursuing it well into his 30s when he probably should give up because he's still just an amateur at that point point. and so uh, not only should he give up he does because ultimately his health is going from him he gets uh, sick uh, every single time he gets uh, he gets in a boxing arena so then he decides I'm going to be an actor Despite having had no, uh, you know, no training in acting, um, he decides he's going to move out to L.A. and he goes full bore into acting. Um, But, you know, he has a drinking problem and he continues on that path. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, through a couple of different interactions, gets to know the Lord a little bit, but has a traumatic um, car wreck. And all of a sudden, after he's awoken, uh, he decides he's going to be a priest. And, um, and he goes full bore into the priesthood until, again, he has a traumatic event. And he has uh, essentially is diagnosed with something along the lines of ALS, where now his dream of doing the priesthood is, is essentially gone from him, at least the way he saw being a priest. And so as he's coming to grips with his diagnosis, while he's a seminarian, he goes into a chapel and he prays. Why? Why? I want to know why, God. Why have you forsaken me here now? And I'm here and I want to do right and I want to do good. I'm going to be good. I want to be good. Please, Lord. He has had all of his dreams dashed up until this point, and he begins to respond in utter despair. So, what do we do when all of our dreams that we've built up for ourselves actually begin to rip apart? When they fail us again and again, do we roll with the punches trying to pretend like nothing is really that wrong? Do we struggle? Do we cry out like Stuart is done? And maybe even in this particular aspect of your life, in this particular season, you are in that place of struggling. You don't exactly know why life is the way it is. You had been planning for it to go differently. Maybe it's with a rejection letter. Maybe it's with a diagnosis. Maybe a betrayal or a broken relationship. Or maybe it's just that you have been waiting and waiting for an answer from the Lord, and yet you're waiting even more. Right? It's into those moments that Ruth's story comes to us this evening. Right? In, in reality, we actually ought to call this whole book the story of Naomi. Because it, it begins and it ends with Naomi. Ruth happens to be just one of a couple of amazing protagonists throughout. Naomi literally means lovely. That's what her name means. And that's what the story begins like for her. Right? She's married to Elimelech. Right, who has this farming land in a town called Bethlehem, which literally means house of bread. Like you can't imagine a better profession in a better town, right? They call it house of bread because of the fertile land all around. He is doing the amazing thing in this town. And so she's envisioning, all right, I've got this, this amazing land. We have a good profession. I'm going to have some children. Life is going to be great. But a drought hits the land. And they're forced to go across the Dead Sea to the land of Moab, right? a, a land full of, full of pagans. And if we remember Genesis chapter 19, how Moab actually got its start, it was started between an incest of Lot and his daughter. That is essentially where the people of Moab come from. Right? How, how despicable that they now have to go there to find food, not the house of the Lord, not Bethlehem. It seems like, okay, they, they pick themselves back up again and life is going okay. Um, but it takes another downturn. Her husband dies. And then tragedy strikes again as her two sons die. All right? Na- Naomi is expectedly devastated. Right? She is completely empty. And although her two daughters-in-law are with her, she now begins to feel alone. Right? As she contemplates what she's going to do, Right? She, tells, uh, she tells her daughters just to go away. Right? To, uh, you know, She is going to abandon her life in Moab that she knows nothing but pain and sorrow in. She has no idea what life is going to look like as she moves back home to Bethlehem, but she knows that it's not going to be good for them. So get out of here. right? She's struggling so much that, that we now begin to see uh, Naomi, lovely, Wants her name to be called bitter. Uh, Mara is what, if we read in chapter two, she wants to now be known as Mara. And so, in our own Naomi moments, when our dreams have fallen apart, when we're struggling deeply, when our hopes give way to bitterness, is there any hope? And our passage this night tells us that there is. And I want to look at it through d- three different lenses the covenant, faithfulness, of Ruth, the covenant faithfulness of Boaz, and the covenant faithfulness of Yahweh. Let's first look at Ruth. Um, but before I do so, let me say a little bit about what I mean by the word, by the phrase covenant faithfulness. Um, throughout the, the book of, Hebrew, uh, of Ruth, there is a Hebrew word that's used again and again and again, and it's the word hesed. Right? And, and uh, the word hesed is not something that we can put like a one-word English definition on. Um, it doesn't just work as love or faithfulness or things along those lines. But um, actually, Houstonian and theologian Daryl Bach says this. He says that the word hesed wraps up in itself all of the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, it's acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. Or I love also how the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, translates this exact same, same word. It says, it is the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. But in Ruth's gospel, we see this word being used to describe even the acts of others who, that are done in the name of the Lord and that are done in His kindness. So chesed of others is the love or the devotion that goes beyond the requirements of duty. Right? These are the human acts so the human chesed that is acted upon because they know the love and faithfulness that the Lord has brought to them. So Ruth demonstrates her covenant faithfulness to Naomi and that as many times as Naomi tries to get rid of Ruth, tries to say, just get away from me. She will not leave her side. There's absolutely nothing wrong with what the other sister-in-law did here. Orpah is not doing anything wrong. She's going back home because she knows that that's a place that will care for her. Right? And, and the scriptures do not paint her in a negative light at all. They paint the Orpah in order to show the extravagant light in which we should see Ruth. Right? The above and beyondness of Ruth. Ruth's decision to go with Naomi is that. It is above and beyond. Because she is a Moabite woman with no history of knowing God's faithfulness. With no history of knowing the Israelite lands and with no history of knowing uh, anything beyond her mother-in-law. She is committed to never leave her side, nonetheless. And it says in verse 16, it says, where you go, this is Ruth speaking, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. She has no idea what the path is going to look like, but she is going to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi nonetheless. And she is going to do everything with Naomi the way that Naomi would do it. So when she gets there, though, it seems like Naomi is almost catatonic. She can't really do anything for herself. She's feeling all of the feels, right? But particularly the feelings of bitterness. And uh, and so Ruth decides, okay, well, first things first, we got to eat. So she is the one who decides how they're going to go out and eat and decides that she's going to get food for them by going out to the farmer's fields and by gleaning, by getting sort of the leftovers of the harvest to feed herself and to feed her mother-in-law. And this is the first glimmer of hope that Naomi begins to see and begins to feel. And I have to admit that this is so incredibly hard. Um... So incredibly hard for us because Ruth Ruth is the positive example of what we should should do to a friend or a relative or a neighbor in need. All right, she's the antithesis of Job's friends. Right, um, Naomi's circumstances are very similar to Job. But unlike Job's friends, she doesn't come in and saying, okay, you know what? Actually, the reason that all these people died is because of your sin. It's because of your fault. Or, or even making up any reason whatsoever. What does she do? She goes and she helps her. She goes and she serves her. She, recognizing that suffer, she recognizes that suffering is a part of life. And when someone is almost catatonic in grief and sadness and anger or bitterness... Right, the thing that they most need from us is somebody who's going to be there. They need someone who's going to show up and to carry carry them when they can't do anything else. They need someone to say, "I love you," yes, but they also need someone to show, "I love you." Right, they need to know of God's love by experiencing it, because that is the only way that it makes sense. They don't need us to rationalize anything. They don't need grand gestures. They need sacrificial love. They need chesed. They need to be known and loved and cared for. Let's look second at the covenant faithfulness of Boaz. Um, so we didn't read much about Boaz uh, in this uh, passage, but um, Boaz is probably one of the most likable people. Uh, that if, if you read the entire book, you, you can't help but feeling like uh, it's just drawn to him. And we aren't given too many details about his background uh, until we encounter him in Ruth's book. Um, but we, we were told that he is a relative of Elimelech, right? her, her former husband, and he's doing quite well for himself in Bethlehem. And the story doesn't tell us exactly how he's doing so well. It actually almost begs the question uh, from us, Okay, there was a famine in Bethlehem. How is this dude doing so good? Right, did he have amazing grain storage that was going on and he was able to ride out uh, the famine? Or was he, was he like buying up farms um, of people who were moving away? And that's how he ultimately got his wealth. Um, the reality is we, we don't know. We don't know if he has been a faithful and godly man his whole life or if meeting Ruth is the first encounter of God's particular grace into his life that changes his heart. But when we meet him, we find out that he is the big dog in Bethlehem. Right? He has got it made. And it's really unlikely that this big dog would have been single. That, that was not the case for most men at this, who had this type of wealth at the time. Um, He likely, if he was incredibly wealthy, he would have had had a wife and he would have had his concubines to go along with it. No, it is far more likely, given the lack of info we hear about any other relationship in his life, is that he is a widower. And God is actually using that. God seems to have used that experience as a means to soften his heart and to begin to empathize with those people who are in need. Because now, in light of all that God has done for him, in light of all that he has, he begins to use that for the sake of others. So Ruth goes to his farm to find food, and she's gleaning in one of his fields, and he takes notice of her. He's kind to her, and even says that not only can she pick out the leftovers in the field, she can grab the extra from the stuff that was already bound together and harvested. And he even promises her protection recognizing how vulnerable that she is right? and it says that yes boaz notices ruth but it's not because she's like a cute girl hanging out in his field it actually says that he notices ruth ruth's chesed toward naomi that's what he begins to notice it's her love and her devotion to naomi that stirs something in boaz the act of love and devotion and so he blesses her, and through her, he blesses Naomi with food from his harvest. He's not overly concerned with, like, pinching every single dime out of the harvest that he possibly can. He's using what God has given him to bless others. He sees Ruth. He sees her struggle. And he sees that he has a big extra that can help into the circumstance. But it, it goes beyond mere food, right? As Ruth and, and Naomi recognize uh, that Boaz is actually sort of a next of kin uh, of, of Elimelech. They they begin to see a, a potential plan or a potential possibility for getting the family farm back. That he could help redeem the farmland that they gave up when they moved to Moab. So they decided to hatch a plan. All right, Ruth is going to find Boaz. Um, asleep with his grain as one would do actually during that period of time because uh, you wouldn't want anybody to steal it while you were asleep in the house. So you, you sleep with your harvest. So she goes before him while he's sleeping with his grain and offers herself to him so that he might redeem uh, the family and redeem the family farm. But in order to redeem it, he would have to marry Ruth. Ruth. And not only that, he would have to create an heir to do so as well. So what Ruth is asking of him is actually quite costly. Unlike Onan, who we read about a couple of weeks ago, who refused uh, to marry Tamar and have an heir with her because it would actually hurt um, the uh Um, what's the word for uh, inheritance there we go it would actually hurt his inheritance what is happening here is the same cost it's going to cost him inheritance to redeem the farm and to marry to marry Ruth and to create an heir yet he is willing to do so Boaz's hesed is toward Ruth and toward Naomi as well it costs as he marries Ruth and as he sires an heir And all of this points toward the third point and the main point that I want us to talk about tonight, which is the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. One of the beautiful aspects of the whole story of this whole book is how clearly we see two things. That that our love for one another is derived from our love of God or, or from God's love. And that as God's people, we actually serve as his hands and his feet of covenantal faithfulness of his hesed. What do I mean when I say that our love is derived from God? Well, this that first John reminds us that we love because he first loved us. Because God is always the first actor. He's always the first mover. Cuz we don't know what love is without the Lord. Actually on our very own apart from God, love is something entirely different to us. Right? Love is selfish. It's emotional. It's intoxicating. It's me-focused. I, you maybe have even heard people talk about it. I love the way so-and-so makes me feel, right? which is another way of just saying, I don't really love them. I love me, and I love the, they, what they do for me. Often we want to be in relationship with someone who has something to offer us, right? not something that's going to cost us. And frankly, we can actually treat our relationship with the church much the same way. What we first think uh, when we walk into a church is, how is this church going to feed me? Not necessarily, how might God be calling me to a particular church or to a particular place? See, God's love is never selfish. It's always self-giving. Where he's given of himself to win back and redeem his entire creation. He gives up his own comfort, so to speak, to love a people who don't really want anything to do with him. And that is that is actually what the season of Advent is all about. It's about the God of creation becoming a creature so that the rest of his creation for that So he's become a creature for the rest of eternity so that he can buy back all of his creation to himself That's what Jesus has done for us. He's given his very life so that we might be inheritors of that creation. He promises community with God, community with each other, and a future home for all eternity. That's what he's doing for us. Any and all love that we have comes from God because he first loves us in this exact way. But second, we are the hands and feet of God's love toward the world at times, right? It can be tempting to look at a story like this and think, I need to be like Ruth or I need to be like Boaz. Right? I need to just like start sacrificing for other people. They are my model and I'm going to dial it up to 11 and be just like them. And it's true that it is an inspiring and it is a motivating story, but that type of motivating story only lasts for maybe like a day, just like a really good movie would. But the whole book is clear that the faithful love of Ruth and the faithful love of Boaz are extensions of the faithful love that the Lord has for them. Though it looked like God had abandoned Naomi and though all of her suffering brought only bitterness, God and his covenant faithfulness provided for Naomi. Not, Not through supernatural or kind of manna from heaven type circumstances, but through the love and care of two people that he placed in her life. At the end of the passage, we see that Naomi's bitterness is now brought back to joy at the hands of Ruth and Boaz. It said in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife, and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the, wom- the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. The Lord has taken care of Naomi. It wasn't anybody else, but it was the Lord, and blessed be him because of it. When it looked like her life was over and that no good things were coming her her direction, the Lord provided for her. It's in his covenant faithfulness. It's in his love for her that he has turned her former suffering, her former bitterness, into joy, into sweetness, into meaning. Now, now, none of us have a guarantee from God that whatever it is that we're going through is going to turn out really great in a year from now or a couple of years from now or really any time before Jesus comes again. We do not have that guarantee, but we do have a guarantee that it will when he comes again, that whatever we're struggling with, whatever we are suffering with, that when Jesus comes again, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is his guarantee that all who are in Christ will have their suffering taken away. It may not happen now. It may not happen on this side of Christ's return, but it will happen. He turns our suffering into meaning into closer relationships with him, into closer relationships with one another that we allow in to our suffering. And in those ways, we actually find blessing. At Advent Houston, we talk a lot about our mission statement to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus. And that is actually what we mean. Um, when we talk about extending God's grace, we do so because we first have, imbo- we first have embraced his grace and his, his love toward us. So who has God put in your life for you to show that type of love to? For you to extend that type of grace to? Maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe neighbors, maybe someone else. If y'all are like me, when somebody up in the pulpit begins listing out a list like that, I'm like, well, everybody, even like all of my Facebook friends and everybody else. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about here. Right? You don't see Ruth going out and blessing all of Bethlehem. No, she, she's starting small. Is there anyone around you that's suffering and struggling that God has put right next to you? How might you be able to care for them? How might you be able to pause in your busyness and stress... And show someone that you see them and that you're with them. I don't don't extend. We don't extend because we have so much to offer. That's not why we do what we say we're gonna do, but because our God has so much to offer. That's why. It's his Hesed that, that makes it possible for you to show love and faithfulness to somebody else. And so maybe this Christmas season find some tangible way to do so. Invite someone that doesn't have a place to go to Christmas, to spend Christmas with you. Find a ministry to get involved with. Tell me, as we're still a young church, what ministries we as a church should get involved with. I would love to hear more about that. Or maybe hear the one who's suffering and struggling. And so do the very hard thing, which is letting someone else know about it, that they might be able to walk alongside with you, that they might be the hands and feet of Jesus to you. He has not abandoned you. He is drawing near. Let me conclude with this. Um, I mentioned the story of Father Stu and his seeming kind of descent into struggle. But by the very end of the movie, um, he has found immense comfort. Uh, he's actually uh, deepened in his relationship with the Lord through his entire struggle. And in one of his final sermons before the, uh, the disease takes him, he tells his congregation He says, this life, no matter how long it lasts, is a momentary affliction preparing us for eternal glory. We shouldn't pray for an easy life, but for the strength to endure a difficult one, because the experience of suffering is the fullest expression of God's love, because it's a chance to be closer to Christ. No matter what we're going through, um, as our dreams fade away or as they fall apart, um, or maybe even some of the hardest, maybe we're succeeding in some of our dreams. No matter who we are, the Lord is drawing close to you. May we draw close to God who has come to us in Jesus Christ. And may we learn as those who have suffered and who have struggled to be the hands and feet of him to go and love others as well. Would y'all pray with me unto that end? Our Father, we thank you um, for the love of Christ, the love that, uh, that is poured out upon us, uh, that you didn't hold on in any sort of selfish vanity, Father, but that you are a self-giving lover of your people. Lord, may we, uh may we embrace that and may we extend that to others, we pray. All this in the name of Jesus. Amen.